with fire. Now, have, you ever, have you ever had a situation where you're coming home and there's this fire and it looks like it's at your place? That has happened to me. Or on a couple of times, actually, I was, I was uh, uh, combining over there and then the phones are ringing. Larry, I think your hay's on fire. And I look, sure enough, it looks like it's on fire, right? And it, it just, there's something that does that. It just, and, you know, as these guys were riding, coming into their home place at Ziklag and coming, and they say, that looks like where we live. And they come, and sure enough, let's keep going. Then David and the people, oh, I'm sorry. So David and his men came to the city, verse 3. Behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Now, I want you to stop. In fact, I'll read that. And David was greatly distressed. Stop. Don't read anymore. Stop. David, how's your spiritual walk? He would probably hit you. Right? He doesn't want to know about that right now. He's so out of sorts. He's so out of, oh, I think God hates me, right? Is, is this the time now where the doubts would really start to boil? His wives are gone. These men that had been out ready to do business have come home and the entire camp has been burned. All of their wives and their children are gone. Just slip into those sandals for just a second. How are you doing? Now, I want you to see, now these 600 men that are following David around really call him their leader. They go anywhere he goes. I want you to see now what's happened to this camp right now. We started off to say in verse... Six, that David was greatly distressed, it tells us why, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Stop, don't read anymore. Ay, yay, ay. Who's worried about a spiritual walk right now? What are you going to do if you're David? Good question. What do you think he's thinking he should do? Great question. Do you think he's lost it? Do you think he's like, what is going on? I'm positive that's what's going on. How could it not be? How could you not? In fact, and you know where it started? Back in chapter 27 and verse 1. He talked to himself without God being involved in the conversation. Isn't that crazy? But let's watch. This is what part that it says, and David was a man after God's own heart. Remember that? That's all scattered through there. Let's find out why. It's, this is the low, I convinced this is the absolute low point in his life, right here. All of those that follow him, his family's gone. They are ready to stone him. <laughs> David, you, that was such a stupid idea to come to Philistia. Did you see what, you know, can you imagine that onslaught? There was nobody in his camp that liked him anymore. Except, except, watch, verse 6. I have this underlined in my Bible because I think it's fantastic. If you think, if you ever get to that point where you're that low, there's still hope. 
Because it says here, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What is he doing? He's re-energizing. He's getting his faith back to live by. And where do you get that? You go to the source. You don't talk to yourself anymore, right? You go to the source. You go to the source. And if you were to continue to read that, the rest of that chapter, he doesn't talk a lot to himself anymore. In fact, in verse 7, it says that David went to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. That was a, uh, what they used in the Old Testament. And Abiathar brought hither, thither the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Do you see what he's doing? He's got it right again. It's kind of like the viewfinder and you get it right back to where you need to be. I'm on God. God, what do you want me to do now? What's the next step? That's faith. Not how's it going to end? He says, should I pursue them? Not am I going to win? See, we want to know, is everything going to work out okay? Isn't that how we usually ask? Is it going to be okay? What's the next step? Faith in action. There he goes. There he goes. And you know the end of the story. And if you don't read the rest of the chapter, everything works out wonderfully. Wonderfully, in fact. Talk about coming to a crisis moment. Let's go back to our text uh, that we read today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's look at the verses of which he keys on. And I'm going to now watch for the word faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll start verse 1, chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we couldn't stand it any longer, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister, servant of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your your building, your tithing, your behavior, your good works, your... See, mom's getting irritated with me. Can't you read? It's faith. It's faith. Okay, keep going. Let's turn down to uh, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the temp... Do you see it? Do you see it? The tempter have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, or love, that you should have good remembrance of us also, always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. Look down at verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. What is Paul worried about? That's a horrible word. Was he worried? What's he concerned about? What was it that he wanted to know from Timothy? Tell me how their faith is doing. (laughs) That's that's crazy, isn't it? That's the number one thing. There's no question. There's nothing else in that passage that he's concerned about but their faith. Because he knows out of that comes everything else. If you're living by faith, everything else falls into place. When Satan is able to steal your faith, anything becomes possible. Now, let's think about Jesus for a moment. What impressed Jesus? I'm going to write down a list. What what really impressed Jesus? Oh, (laughs) 
Oh, I set that up well, didn't I? I thought you guys would say like, you know, Matthew, you are so smart. I mean, you are the tax collector of all tax collectors. You are brilliant. I appreciate that about you, Matthew. No. Or Peter, you know, you're so vivacious. You're just so over the top in the sense of just letting people know exactly where you're at. Doesn't say anything like that, does he? How about Judas? You know, you're a financial genius, Judas. I got to love the fact that you can handle money. Not so much, right? There's only one thing that we can find that Jesus was literally surprised by or was really literally taken back. And that was, it's a short, it is really a very short list. Wait, let's go to, uh, while you're thinking about that, turn to Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 1. Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. And now when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Now, we're talking about whom? What, what, is, what, what nationality is this man we're talking about? He's a Roman, okay? He's a Roman. What would he know about Jesus? Pretty limited, pretty limited, but apparently had saw or heard enough that he literally, right now, what you can get from him, what is he trusting in right now? The centurion. He's trusting Jesus. He's trusting that he will come and heal his servant. It's faith. Let's keep going. He, for he, I'm sorry, verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Now, stop for a second. This guy says, I'm not even worthy to meet you, Jesus, but I am fully and completely 100% on board with trusting you with my future of my servant's son. You just say the word, and it will happen. That is faith. Let's see how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him. He turns around, who's following him? The Jews are following him, right? He says, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returned to the house, finding the servant whole that had been sick. That is a victory. That is a victory. I would love to have that man's faith. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Same vein. Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Matthew 15, verse 28. <clears throat> Let's see. We should go. I've got to back up a little bit. Verse 22. Matthew fifteen twenty two, Behold, a woman of Canaan 
came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And the disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Again, you see him marveling as such at faith. Now, I want to show you on the other side. The other thing that was marveling to him was the lack of faith. Turn to Mark chapter 6 for a moment. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And let's watch this. Literally, we'll read it and then we'll come back and comment on it. Mark chapter 6. I'll get there sometime here. Taking forever. Mark chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. Mark 6, 1. And he went out from thence, and he came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is that which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? Are not these sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. How much faith is going on right now? What are they keying on? What are they looking at? What they see. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And watch, watch verse 5. And he could there do no mighty, mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Did you see what was just said there? The very fact of their lack of faith literally held him off from accomplishing more works. Whoa. Whoa. Turn back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. I don't know why I wrote this down, but let's go there. We'll find out together. Matthew 9, 29. Oh, yeah, okay. Another, another situation. Verse 27, Matthew chapter 9. 9.27, when Jesus departed thence, two blind men following him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then, he touched, then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. And they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Amazing. Two blind men trusting Jesus to give them sight. It's interesting back in Mark that faith was the trigger that released divine power. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. See, we need to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance 
incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, how? Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's more than talk. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 29. Because we can have a, we can say the right things. You might know the right words to say in regards to faith. Oh, I have faith. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. God is speaking about the Israelites and their, his perspective about them. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Now watch. Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Literally, they served mouth service. They would stand up, probably stand up in the synagogue and speak whatever sounded good. Everything's good. What did God say? No, their heart is far from me. It's just talk. Now, one thing we need to be careful to say is the fact that it's not about, as you find if, if you uh, watch some of the television programs, the televangelists and uh, the faith healers as such, I'm going to broadly put those in a category, that it's not about this super confidence, this positive attitude that if I, ha- I just have to have enough faith and then I will be healed. That is not what I'm talking about. That is not what the Scripture preaches and teaches. It's not like that. Let's go, let's go, for instance, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and let's find what's described for us about Abram. At Romans chapter 4. We'll look at verses 19 through 21. Let's look at faith. We'll watch faith really come on unfolded. Romans chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> Actually, we should probably start a little bit earlier. Let's start in verse 16, same chapter, Romans chapter 4. The whole chapter of Romans 4 is, is about Abram's, Abraham's faith, but let's start here. Verse 16, chapter 4. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Now, that's an interesting thing. How do you receive grace? I'm saved by grace through faith. And faith is even a gift, isn't it? It absolutely is. There's really nothing. But if we set it up... Faith is ours. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which also which is the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It is as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Woe against hope. I'm sorry. Who against hope believed in hope? Who against hope believed in hope? that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now, what is, what are we, let's stop for a moment. What, is, what was that just all about? What's going on there? To have hope against hope. It did not look like it was going to happen. How do we know that? And what was going to happen? God had said, you know, thy seed, Abraham's family, will be as the sand of the sea as are the stars of the sky. How many did he have right then? It was a zero. And he's a hundred years old. Not when the promise was given, but as time goes on, it's amazing how that promise becomes more distant. And Satan is what? What would he be doing? Stealing faith, wanting to steal by saying, descendants is the sand of the sea. You ain't got one, partner. But he hoped against hope. 
Let's keep going. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith. Look at that. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That, my friends, is faith on exhibition. There is nothing about any of Abraham's situation that looked promising. No pun intended. He's 100. Sarah is 90. They do not have their first child. I'm, I'm actually not planning to get to be 90 or 100. I don't know that that's possible. I can't really imagine our first child now. I just can't even... Lisa's laughing back there. I mean, our last one, Logan, I thought we were going to die. That kid never slept. We're, like, we're looking at each other. What is going on? He's 100. She's 90. Here comes little Isaac, little bundle of joy. Right? And did you see it? He said it several times. No lack of faith. Right on target. How? Why? Because he continued to exercise the belief in the promises God had made. When God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you, when you feel alone, you need to drag that out of the word. And you say, I know I can trust that because you said you will never leave me or forsake me. Those are the things that get you through. Those are the things that get your faith back. Those are the things that take fear and cast it away and faith takes its place. That's so important for us today. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps vibrancy. That's what keeps energy in your life. I've even been guilty of this. Somebody's asked, how are you doing? What's that? Okay. I was, I was just going to say it this way. Well, I'm struggling. Oh, really? You're struggling? And you're in Jesus? Really? That's a horrible answer, isn't it? It's a terrible answer. It's a, I'm, and I'm right here. With, I've said it. I'm struggling. What are you struggling for, partner? Is, God your, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm just kind of struggling through life. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of dragging a foot, you know. <laughs> I got to try harder. Have you heard that one? I just got to try harder. Oh, how much harder did you want to try? Who's, who's the harder part? What is that telling us? When you say, I got to try harder. Exactly. You're doing with your own power, your own strength. Guess what? You can try all the harder you want to hard. hard. Okay, try it again. <laughs> You can try as hard as you want, and it won't be hard enough because you're dependent upon yourself. Again, where's the focus? What are you fearful of? God's not capable. I'm going to do it myself. We receive God's grace by faith. We need to live by grace. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. When we look within ourselves, there's not a lot that would allow us to see that we have the capability of even trying harder. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, allows us to really see where we should be looking. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. In fact, let's, oh, let, let's do this. Let's do this. You're in tw- chapter 12. Turn back to chapter 11 and verse 6, because if you don't have faith, 
it's very good to tell us it's impossible to please him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That verse you need to have a hold of. That is powerful. Turning now, after he goes through countless exhibits of those that have lived by faith... I, I, you know, many times we miss this. I, I just think of this right now. Hebrews chapter 11, just dial in to verse 34. Now, we could start in verse 1, and we could go to rule 3. And you, have, you have Abel, and you have Enoch, and you have Noah, and you have Abraham, and you have uh, Isaac's got to be here somewhere. Um, boom, boom, boom. Abraham, there's Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. All, what, how, did, how did their stories end? They were all pretty good, weren't they? It all worked out pretty good. But I want you to see something that's also included. Um, verse 34, let's just dive right in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34. Quenched, I'm sorry, verse 33, try that one. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of... We're probably thinking of, remember those, uh, those three guys that were in the... Or Dave, or Daniel was in the lion's den? Quenched the violence of fire? What, was, what were those guys' names? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were... Now watch. Did you see it? There's a colon now. How, how is it going so far? If you've read all the way through this chapter, everybody kind of wins. It's just, you have faith? Those that have faith win. No, I want you to see something. It doesn't always work out that way. And others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better, better resurrection. Think of all those martyrs that died in the hands of those that asked them to refute Jesus Christ. They said, not in your life. Not in your life. We're here because Jesus Christ has died for us. We trust him for our life to come because of his resurrection. I will die by him to have life everlasting. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging. Yes, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They were wandering on sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, I have that word underlined, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. You see, it was faith that carried them through. You're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad who, whatever. It's faith that will carry you through. Don't let Satan steal. Um, I can't think of this guy's first name. Simbola. Uh, um, Jim. Jim Simbola. I wrote down a quote. The greatest Christian isn't the one that has achieved the most. It is the one that has received the most. Isn't that good? It's really good because the ones that the receiver, the ones that are leaning. It's almost like I remember this as um, when our children were little. Um, I can't think of anyone in particular, but it, it was almost in this common theme as well. They were little and, and uh, we would, I maybe have them in my, in my arm or they were walking beside me. And all of a sudden there's something that's really scary, really scary. And what would they do? They would cling on to you. They would hold you tight. They would, it, you were there and that is exactly the picture. That we should have in our minds for ourselves with God the Father. You just reach out and, and that is the one that you want to cling to. That's faith. That's faith. Now Alice had some, said something earlier in the sense that we were talking about how to steal 
the faith from you, and, and uh, someone had mentioned troubles and trials. And there are those, those that do not know Christ personally. Many times that is a wall, that's a barrier that goes up, and they keep that there as the reason that they can't trust God because they make him, per, making God personally responsible for whatever those things were. Maybe a loss of a mother, many times a young child, the loss of a mother, it's amazing how many times that wall goes up. But in many, many cases, in fact, there's, a, there's one I'm just thinking of right now, I can't share the name, that literally difficult times have brought that person as a real high sensitivity to the need for God. And that can be a very positive thing for faith to even grow. In fact, someone says, faith grows the best on cloudy days. It's very true. It's very true. Because why? Because we're doing the same as that little kid, that they're clinging, they're hanging on to you. That's what happens to us. I remember, I can't tell you how many times, we've had a lot of bull sales, and many times the night before that sale. My, there's just so many things. There's so many things that I, I, I do, and you know what? I just, I just get down beside my bed or in my office and on the chair, and I say, God, I don't really know what to do right now, but to just cry out to you and pleading with you to tell me what you want me to do and what is the next step. Yeah. That's exactly where he wants us. Faith grows in that scenario. That's like a greenhouse for faith. One more. Because sometimes we hold on to things and our faith becomes stagnant because of some challenges that maybe come across our life. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis, I'd like to go to the life of Joseph. And you know what happened. Joseph was... One of Jacob's youngest sons, I believe it was number 11 out of 12, and he was his favorite. There's note to self there, don't have favorites. But let's just review our, let's just take that, let's go through this life journey, if you will, with Joseph. He's a young teenager and he speaks his mind and he's, he's very open. And his brothers hate him. For several reasons. One, because Jacob, his father, loves him more than anybody else. And it's obvious he does because he gives him this coat of many colors. I probably wouldn't have worn the thing. Because he's got trouble with coats, I can tell you that. Because if Potiphar's wife, remember that? She told us, stole his coat and he ends up in jail because of a coat. He's, he should stay away from coats. That's my bottom line. No, I'm kidding. And, uh, and then he says he has a dream. And he tells his dad. And he tells his brothers. And this dream... The stars fell down and worshipped. And then father and brothers and, jo- and even at Jacob says, knock it off. That's over the top. And he could have used some discretion, but he's like probably 15 or 16. I was going to say something about 15 or 16 year old. I'm going to refrain. I'm not going to say that. Other than they might be the smartest person in the world at that time. But he didn't. He just let it go, right? Keep on going down this, down this trail. His brothers are gone, and his father says, Dave, uh, Joseph, why don't you go check on them? Just see what they're doing. Heads out the old back 40. They see him coming. <laughs> Remember what they called him? Here comes the dreamer, right? Ooh, you can, see, you can just see uh, the smoke rising out of these boys, right? They're going to, this is our chance. This is our chance. Let's get the dreamer. So they strip on his coat. Obviously, that's the first thing you're going to take off of him, right? Is get rid of the thing that just... I mean, every time the kid shows up, 
Oh, daddy's favorite. So they take it off, throw them into a pit. And then they eat. They sit down and eat. <laughs> Some really good guys, right? And here comes the Ishmaelites, traitors. Judah has a fantastic idea. Now, what do you think Joseph's doing? Let's slip into his little situation for a moment. They're talking about what? They're going to kill him? This is, what does things look like for his life going forward? Looks a little dismal. And then, and then, get this, they sell their brother into slavery. What do you think young Joseph's doing right now? He's scared out of his wits. He's never going to see his family again. He's probably doomed, as far as he can tell. Goes off, gets sold as a slave. Potiphar buys him. How are you guys doing? You know, one, really, literally, one day, your, fa- your father's favorite, everything's going along smoothly, and literally, in a couple of days, you are now sold at an auction to someone you don't know, and he plugs in and he does a good job. And then, another problem. Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. Does the right thing. Joseph, so far, has done the right thing. How's his spiritual walk? It's amazing. Is it not amazing? Yeah. It's amazing. And there's so many ways. Did you see, do you see Satan trying to steal his faith all along? How do you think it was when he's at the bottom of the pit and they're trying to kill him? God, what's going on here? Can I really trust you? Apparently he did. Potiphar, he does a job, does it right. Then he's accused of rape. He goes to prison for two full years. And it doesn't seem to even upset him. And then these two, the butler and the baker, he gives them predictions. There was one you didn't want to be, and the other one was good. He said, don't forget about me. And what did he do? He was forgotten about. See, those are life, and and, and all of us probably have some life experiences of which probably aren't very good. And it can stall, it can stymie your faith production in moving forward. But I want you to see something that I think is fantastic because you also know then the thing started to change. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream and he doesn't know what it is. And then, aha, the butler says, I just remembered what I should have said a long time ago. There is this Jew, this Hebrew that's in prison and he can, div- can, can explain dreams because he did for me. He explains it. Pharaoh says, well, get him in here. Gets a haircut, gets a shave, puts on some garments that are presentable before Pharaoh, and he shows up, and what does he say? This is, this is perfect. What does he say? I understand you, Pharaoh says, I understand you can, you can uh, interpret dreams. And what did Joseph say? No, no, I can't, but my God can. My God, oh, man, I mean, boom, boom, boom. And no matter where he was at, mark this now, no matter where he's at, his faith is growing. And he, relays, and he relays this. And there's no, there's, I mean, there's no hidden stuff. Well, now, if you listen to my dream and I unfold this for you, you know, I wouldn't mind having a job in the, you know, in the, in the administration here. Doesn't say any of that, does he? He just tells him. And Pharaoh's thinking there, and this dude, we need him on board. He makes him number three by the end of the day. I mean, you talk about promotions and demotions, they came list literally by a flip just like that in, Dave, in Joseph's life. And then he was given a wife. What would you name your first son? What would you name your first son if you're Joseph? Remember what, uh, what, was, uh, what was Ruth's mother-in-law? Remember her? Naomi. She was kind of a bitter gal, wasn't she? Remember? She said, yeah. Oh, man, you know. What did, now, did Joseph have opportunity to maybe say, you know what? My life's been kind of a rotten deal, right? Let's go and find out what are the names behind his first and his second born son. It is really, really good. Let's go there. 
chapter 41. We'll find it. Genesis chapter 41. And now, I, oh, there we go. <clears throat> 41. And let's turn down to like verse 50 probably. Let's go to verse 50. Yeah, there we go. In verse 50, chapter 41 of Genesis. Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of Anna, and I'm pardoning the name that I didn't pronounce properly probably, but let's keep going. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he, Joseph, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You know what? God allowed him to forget all of the nasty stuff that went on in his life. And I'm convinced that's why his faith was so strong as he never let it brew or instill bitterness within him. Watch the second one, verse 52. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of... Did you Now watch this. To be fruitful, where? In the land of my affliction. No matter where you're at... You can be fruitful when you are focused on producing the faith that God wants you to have. That is fabulous. That promise right there that was instilled to Joseph that he was fruitful in the land of his affliction. I don't care where you're at today. It can be as crummy as possible. And you, no matter what, let's go back to our fireplace. The oxygen is prayer. The fuel, the wood is, and the paper is the Word of God. And when you put the Word of God and you bring, and you bring the, the oxygen together, it's the perfect environment for the Holy Spirit to just spark it off. And faith grows. Aren't you glad? It's the deal that keeps us moving, keeps us growing. Things that we can be so thankful for. Are you okay with one more situation? Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, actually I've got several of them, but I'm not going to take them all out because we're going to continue on in this journey next week. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. And I'll set this up for you. Um, David, is, as usual, is on the run from Saul. And he has taken his family over into Moab. He's actually went a long ways away because he knew that's how Saul would get to him. If he, if, you know, his dad, his mom, some of his other brothers, that's how Saul would get them. He'd say, you know, I'm going to kill these guys. If, David, you just turn yourself in. So he saw that coming. And so he goes and takes them all the way over to Moab, goes back to Adullam. And this brings up the story now in, verse 20, in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. So he's on, I want you to keep, keep that in mind. He is running from Saul. That's first and foremost in his mind. That's, that's, what's, got him, that's what's got him going. Then they, they told David, verse, verse 1, chapter 23, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Let's stop for a moment. What do you mean, rob the threshing floors? What does that mean? Excuse me? Yeah, in, in, in other words, you've done all the work. The, the, Israel, the Israelites have raised it. They've harvested it. They've went to the threshing floors, and they've done the, 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 they've done the reaping. They brought it here. They thrashed it out. And here comes the Philistines and take all the wheat. Oh, man. So they told David about that. 
He's got his own problems, right? I'm running from Saul. I don't have, another, I don't have no time to be running off and helping other people. Look at verse 2. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. Ah, he's not talking to himself yet. He's inquiring of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? Is that what you want me to do, God? Is that the next step? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Oh, so here we go. No, watch verse 3. David's men <laughs> said unto him, Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, that's not here, but you, you get it. Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more if we take, go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? What are you thinking about, David? What are you thinking about? We got, our home, we got our hands full. We can't even handle Saul. And now you're thinking we should go over and, and beat up on the Philistines to save some stupid little town? So what does David do? Maybe I got the wrong message. This is good. Because confirmation of some ways where you're not sure of, get some sense of accountability. Get someone else that you know is really in tune and has faith and that's on, on tune with God. Get, get next to them. But what does he do? He goes back to God. Second time. Verse 4. David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, and I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, brought away their cattle, smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. It came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. Oh, boy, here we go. And Saul said, now, wait a minute, stop, just for a second. Stop, stop for a second. So David has saved Keilah from the Philistines. Now, who should be a hero in Keilah? You'd think, wouldn't you? Kind of in the city walls. It's all looking good. Saul hears... Oh, guess what? David's kind of, he's kind of showing himself up. Have you ever kind of stepped out of your box and done something really good? And then there's like right there, there's big fat trouble just waiting for you. That would be what this situation is. He's done the right thing, accomplished what God wanted him to do. And here comes Saul. Now I want you to see something. This is another thing that's very interesting to me. God is leading David, but I want you to see that Saul actually believed that God was leading David to him. Watch what's said. And in verse 7, it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, watch, God hath delivered him into my hand. <laughs> Saul is God's enemy. For he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was secretly practicing mischief against him. That's a nice way of saying he's coming to kill me. He said to Abiathar, the, the priest, bring him to the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into their hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. Again, I have to admire the fact of where David is going with his requests. He could hear these things and he could be stewing and worrying and going crazy. He's going directly to the Lord. And guess what? The Lord answers him and says this. He will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. So what does he do next? He leaves Keilah. Didn't trust anyone but God. Is his faith growing? It's doing awesome. It's doing awesome. The thing that Satan tried to take away is growing. Turn to Psalm chapter 25 and verse 9. And I think we're gonna, we've got one more verse and we're going to stop here for today. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 9. Psalm 25 and verse 9. 
Psalm of David. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. You just see meekness in David thus far in that journey. Then turn over to chapter 48 and verse 14. Psalm chapter 48, verse 14. Psalm 48 and verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. How's your spiritual walk? Nobody saying anything? There's always a positive, isn't there? Yeah, there's always a positive. Let's be careful to not let Satan try to steal, to kill and destroy. Let's stand firm on the promises of Jesus Christ. And maybe the last time, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I promise this will be last. I think we need to be careful in the days in which we find ourselves living. Our society, the world is pretty wild, pretty crazy. Satan is active. I don't think there's a lot of time left. Ephesians chapter 6, it is important that we put on his armor. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read verses 10. Start at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the craftiness of Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Isn't that exactly what's going on? That's exactly what he's doing. He's throwing fiery darts at you, and without the shield of faith, oh, ouch, that hurt. Man, that, oh, man, that's another thing. I, oh, I got another one. Oh, and another one, right? <laughs> you guys, I see, oh, man, he's getting hurt up there. <laughs> but literally, if we don't have the shield of faith, that's exactly what happens. They just keep coming in, and they keep coming. And especially if he knows you don't have the shield of faith up, he's incessant about, hey, he's, he doesn't have any faith. Whap him. Exactly. The shield of faith. Put that shield of faith up. I'm way too animated today again, but I'm sorry. No, I'm not. It's okay. And verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that there and I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I want to come back to verse 17 again and 18. Watch this again. Just looking at the fire of faith. The sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God, which is the Word of God, it says. Praying always. You have the Word of God. You have praying and supplication in the Spirit. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? It's just tied together. Live by faith and not fear. Don't let him steal. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for your message to us that living by faith, not only has the penalty of sin has been taken care of through being saved by grace through faith, but Father, also the power of sin is vanquished as well when we live by faith. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have through your strength and your power to overcome the evil one, the one that is throwing fiery darts at us. May the shield of faith be in place. May we take it up. May we take those promises that have been given to us, that are firmly rooted in truth. Father God, I pray for each one of these here today. There's a world out there that needs Jesus, and you will utilize these people, these men and women and children, to be places that are destined for them to touch and to reach and to speak to those that are perfectly on target from you. Father, we would pray for words of wisdom this week. We would pray that we would be focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, the faith, we would ask, would grow. It would flourish. And that fear and doubt and worry would be canceled. For obviously, Father, as Paul was so excited to know about the faith in Thessalonica, it's the strength of which all of the externals that we can basically gauge progress is because of faith that's active and growing. May it not be but dormant, but may it be energized and on fire. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish, Father, because of what was done with Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And his, we just thank you for the victory over sin that was, that was accomplished. And these things we ask in his name. Amen.
as we contemplate the sacrifice that literally giving his life's blood, it reminded me of a passage in John chapter 10 on the Good Shepherd. And literally is a picture of what he accomplished on that cross, hanging between heaven and earth. He said, I am the door. There's no way for salvation. As John has aptly pointed out in the first epistle, that he that has the Son hath life, and he that does not have the Son does not have life. And that was really literally the picture of that communion time they had together. And I'm going to ask, Ernie, would you say a blessing on the cup, please? Thank you. On that same night, it tells us in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, that likewise also the cup after supper saying this, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, if you will, in my blood, which is shed for you. The significance which stands firm today. Let's partake together. Oh, Lord God, it's with thanksgiving and gratitude that we bring to you on bended knee for a great and awesome God that saw fit to save wretched men that had failed, fallen into the state of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that curse. Jesus took that payment. And when we accept him by faith, across our ledger, across our invoice, it's stated paid in full. Paid in full. Father, may we focus on that this week. To know that we are saved by so great a Savior, so great a God, that allowed himself to set aside all of the attributes that he owned, that he had, as Philippians points out, to work it out perfectly so that we could be rejoined with a true gospel, the good news of salvation. Thank you, Father, for Philippians 1.6 as well. That You've begun a good work in us, and you're faithful to complete it to the very day of our glory. That's the God we serve. <clears throat> Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for eternal life of which Jesus purchased by his blood. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.